And this is Diversify. We just do ad hoc episodes now, which honestly I like because it means we're topical. We keep you guessing. It's 2023. We made it. The only time me and Holly get to socialise now is doing these. We're right. both far too busy to speak to each other or care, frankly. Um, <laughs> how have you been, Holly? What have you been doing? What haven't I been doing? I did Panto. And then, because that took over my life, I had to write 50% of a musical in one week. Nice. I wrote like eight songs in a week and uh, we workshopped it. Now I need to do all the edits and record an EP. So, so tired. My body is jelly. Like, yeah, Panto was intense and then I went straight to that. What about you? Do you know what's really funny is today I took the morning off because I'm so tired from like preparing, promoting my show that I've got the most Gen Z injury ever. My hand from posting on social media, I'm moving my, I mean, this is audio, but I'm moving my wrist. It's got a strain. Oh, pal, this is my life. What you need to do is, mine came off and I need to, literally, my plan today is to go on Amazon and buy a new one. You know, those little like what, round finger? things. No, well, yeah, you, you can get the ones that look almost like brass knuckles. You can just get the little circular poppy things. They genuinely help my thumb so much. That's mad. Do you remember? Oh, okay, so it's Friday. We're recording on a Friday. So we decided this morning, uh, me and my boyfriend, that we were going to look up Friday things because it's Friday. Do you remember Rebecca Black? Really rich American girl who did that terrible, terrible pop song about Friday. Who owes her entire career to her daddy's money and Craig David's pop culturing of the days of the week. We looked her up. She's now like a legitimate good songwriter with obviously she's still got her daddy's money, but like she's gone away instead of like disappearing into a hole. She's come back and her songs are quite good. They're kind of like late stage Britney Spears meets Lady Gaga, but a bit more BDSM. So Rihanna. <laughs> They're very good. Anyway, I spent all morning. White Rihanna. Uh, white Rihanna. Yeah. So that was my morning. Anyway, speaking of no, I can't do it. Have you got? <laughs> speaking of white Rihanna, um, <laughs> speaking of millennial problems, here's the complete opposite of that: anti-Semitism. Hello, guest. Please. That was quite yourself. good. No, that was terrible. Uh, please introduce yourself, guest. Who are you? Who the fuck are you? Uh, who... who the fuck am I? The spin-off of who do you think you are? Um, so my name is Katie Price and I'm a comedian, writer and Jew, not in that order. Which order would it be? I would say probably Jew does also imply writer and then probably comedian after that. Entirely at my discretion. Um, I've entirely made that up and I expect to be held accountable by your huge Jewish fan base. Yeah. So that's the thing. What comes first also in timeline? So like the assumption might be that Jew comes first in timeline, but who knows? We don't know. Maybe you converted. Unfortunately not. I actually did a uh, one of those ancestry things the other day and I am predictably 100% Jewish. I mean, nobody should be 100% anything, let alone 100% that. But anyway, so yeah, that, that did come first chronologically and subsequently it's also come first thematically in my life as well. Interesting. 100% Jewish. That's me. Yeah, that's my hinge bio. 
It's about the most consistent thing that exists in 2023, being 100% something. Exactly. We've asked Katie on today to talk about an article that recently came out about an experience that you had. Do you want to tell us what happened? Yeah, so I'd say after my top three of Jew comedian writer, I'm also a massive Arsenal fan and have been for many, many years. And it's been a um, hard few years, hasn't it? Finally got to a place whereby going to work on a Monday after a weekend match is not as torturous as it used to be. And a few weeks ago in January, so I share a season ticket with somebody. So I go to most home games, but away games are absolutely extortionate. So there was a North London derby on the 15th of January, Tottenham are playing Arsenal. And for some reason, probably too long and convoluted to go into now, Tottenham's had associations with um, as being a Jewish club. And this is not necessarily true. There's no more, there's no higher percentage of Jewish Tottenham fans than there are Jewish Arsenal fans, but it has become known as a Jewish club and a lot of Tottenham fans colloquially call themselves I'll say on this podcast Yid Army and that's a word that I think is very emotionally loaded it was a word used by the black shirts it derives from a lot of Nazi literature it's got awful kind of backstory to it and Spurs fans kind of adopted this Tottenham fans adopted this in the 1980s as I was saying yeah we are and we're proud of it which is brilliant but I think it can mean that to hate Tottenham is fine but then so if you're calling yourself a Jewish club, et cetera, et cetera. And so there are a lot of chants like that that go on. Anyway, so on this North London Derby Day, me and some friends were watching Arsenal Tottenham at a pub called The Cali in Islington. And the game was going brilliantly. It was an Arsenal pub. We were 2-0 up. This hasn't happened in years. And North London Derby, it's brilliant. And about the 89th minute, there's a chant going on that we hate Tottenham. And I thought, OK, we'll all join in. We all like that. And then they end it, this group of men, about five men much bigger than me much older than me shouting yiddo repeatedly at mocking the spurs fans and i thought oh god that's not ideal and i did to my shame ignore the first time it happened and i thought okay it's one of those things you can't always change minds like that then about a minute later they did the same thing again everybody in the pub started joining in so i i went up to the man who started the chant and i said look just don't say that last bit and then kind of walked away because i thought okay i'm, I'm not going to get into a conversation or a debate i'm, I'm telling you i'm not asking you and then he came back to my group and just started kicking off. And he tried to come for me. He tried to attack us. He tried to rip my Arsenal shirt off me that I was wearing. And saying all these horrible things. That he was going to break my legs, etc, etc. And at that point, the manager of the pub comes over and removes me and my friends. Presumably because he was fearful of this other gang as well. But of course... That just fanned their flames and we left the chance of, you know, go home. And since then, you know, I've spoken to the police about it and they are, I know they're working to find out who these people are. But I think the thing that has really kind of stuck with me is that the whole pub joined in um, with the chanting when we left and just how widespread it was for everybody to get on board with chanting that at a young Jewish woman who has openly said that she is a young Jewish woman. Just to clarify, Tottenham Hotspur have recently openly said that they want fans to stop using that term. Well, they have. They've said, they've said it's time to move on. And that's quite an interesting phrase because to me that sounds A, optional, and B, it implies it was okay. It's, it's, it's not okay as of right now. It doesn't really, in my opinion, acknowledge that we were really wrong to have claimed that. So, yeah, there has been a, a move to kind of push that word out and people like David Badil have been doing a lot of really good work on this but I would say that I think 
we're quite a bit behind where we should be on this. You know, David Cameron used that word in 2011, and to my knowledge, he's not Jewish. And to have the prime minister of your country using a, a racial slur that is used against your community, I think, shows just how far we've got to go. And that was, what, 10, 12 years ago? Can I just ask, does everybody, not everybody, obviously, but is it a thing that Jewish fans refer to themselves as, or is it... If you're a Tottenham fan, I was going to say, like me, but I'm definitely not a Tottenham fan. But if I was a Tottenham fan, yeah. would I be considered able to use that by other Tottenham fans? Or is it a thing that like a subset of Jewish Tottenham fans call themselves? I think, to be honest, you go to White Hart Lane, Tottenham's ground, and you hear chants of that from everyone. And, you know, there's more people in that stadium than there are Jews in London. So, you know, you know that they're not all Jewish. And in my opinion, it is the right only of a Jew to be able to use that word. I personally don't like to use it anyway. I, I know some people want to reclaim it, but my opinion is we just need to kick it out. We just need to get rid of it. We can use other words to refer to ourselves, not that one. Um, so I think people do think it's okay to do it in that context. And I think this just shows it goes beyond football. It goes so much beyond football because we were on the same team. And he kept saying, I'm a Yid in an Arsenal shirt. And I think that really does imply that whatever I might be portrayed as I'll always be something different deep down and that plays into a huge kind of stereotypical rabbit hole with regards to anti-semitism that was the question that I was going to ask next because there's a lot of minor intersectional things are going on in football and sort of tribalism but where does this whole thing fit within the realms of anti-semitism and and it's yeah. really easy, I'm sure, for a football supporter to be like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> We've just been doing this yeah. forever and who cares? How does it actually make you feel? It feels, it really hurts when I hear people chant it because, particularly at football, because, you know, when my family came to this country, football was the way for them to integrate and to kind of be like their neighbours, right? And to suddenly hear fellow members of your supporter base turning that on you is just, it's heartbreaking. But also, to answer your question, I guess, more specifically, the bit that really hurt me and the, the way it makes me feel is in particular is the silence and the, the joining in of other people, just how many people got on board. You know, these are there was about 50, 60 people in that pub and they all joined in and and they must know, but I think it can come down to a kind of mob mentality. And I truly don't believe that those 60 people are all anti-Semitic individuals, but I think the way that they all very quickly got on board with it shows that a lot of people in this country who don't consider themselves racist have a huge blind spot when it comes to anti-Semitism. Why do you think that is? It's not such a hot point in the news. It is weird because, you know, it's, it's the oldest hatred, right? We've got an evidence history of, you know, I'm the first generation in my family to have been born where my mum was born because every single generation beforehand was kicked out, kicked out, kicked out. And we come from that. So it is very surprising that therefore people haven't seemed to kind of clocked on to how it's manifesting and I think part of the problem with it is that it's both top down and bottom up and David Baddiel talks about this very very eloquently in that like I think a lot of people think because anti-semitically people associate Jews with money it somehow becomes acceptable to hate the rich and I think it's seen as punching up it's seen as you know picking on the right people to bring down the establishment but I think people so wrongly associate us with the establishment that people think it's sort of okay and I also think, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that a lot of Jews do benefit from a lot of white privilege and it's not the same as other racism. And I fully acknowledge that. But I would say that I think people feel they can talk their way out of it and say, oh, it doesn't mean that. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen to people who receive other forms of racism. But I think in particular, I felt a real kind of gaslighty culture. I think a lot of it comes down to 
a an anti-Semitic idea that people don't even know they have. And that's why people, you know, we say stuff like, this is a really specific example, but there was a play on at the Royal Court last year and the lead kind of misanthropic character who was a billionaire was called Herschel Fink. And that is an incredibly Jewish name. And people say, oh, but that doesn't mean anything. But it does. It subtly gets into all of our mindsets and that's what makes people think it's okay. Yeah, you just made me think of the goblins in Harry Potter as well. The Harry Potter thing, I haven't played it, obviously, but it's not just that J.K. Rowling's transphobic, but apparently the whole plot of the game is, like, super anti-Semitic. What, the new one? Yeah, 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 the new um, She Who Must Not Be Named associated game. I thought it was just transphobia, but we all knew about the goblins. It's in, it's interesting, right? I went into the press night of the Lehman trilogy about the Lehman Brothers. It was very interesting because it was three and a quarter hours of generations of Jewish men. Like, it never mentioned the Holocaust. They just brushed through World War II. And I was like, this play is about three brothers who literally got on a boat to America in the 1800s from Germany, German Jews, and in this play, they never mentioned any of the like intricacies of what it meant to be a powerful Jewish person. And I think yeah. it's because they were worried. I'm sure it was because they were... But to me, that is the kind of erasure of history that results in people thinking, oh yeah, but we're not going to do a Holocaust. And it's like, that's not what it is. It, it just really bothered me because I was mm. like, I'm not Jewish. But I was like, sorry, there are some really interesting things that we can be discussing in theatre about what it means to have this billionaire privilege, but also not be considered white and and to be a billionaire in america and then to look at your old country and go god if we were there now nothing nobody's doing anything about it even when they're telling stories is it too close in our history for people to start assessing what happened actually on the same scale as they would other huge genocides like that is it just too close mm -hmm. and pe and also because we, we have people that remind us of hitler that exists mm -hmm. now i think you're right holly maybe people are just too scared to address it i think it's because people do think it's like oh well we don't need to address it because look they were billionaires because stratford right now has a thing called how not to drown refugee plays we had the jungle all in calais where they're saying to you please examine what's going on now. A few years ago, after the phone hacking scandal, Billy Piper starred in a very quickly written show all about the corruption of the media. We will do this stuff. Like, art does respond to that. But it didn't. Um, yeah. I would also say, to your point about the erasure of that kind of thing, and people say, oh, we're not going to have another Holocaust. You know, people forget that the Holocaust didn't start at the Holocaust. It didn't start at the camps. It didn't start. That was the final, final, final point of a 30 point plan. And it started with a slow chipping away. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that that's the path we're on, but I am saying that, you know, history only means anything if we learn from it. Right. And we forget that it was a slow erosion of people's connection to a culture and people's ability to be taken seriously when they complain about and they report racism and things like that. And I think that's what we need to remember is that all of these things that stand out in history, the pogroms, the Holocaust, all of these things, we think, oh, okay, yeah, no, that was awful. That wouldn't happen again. But as you say, Kate, it was it was only, what, 70-ish years ago? Within living memory. And I know Sarah Silverman has an incredible speech on this. And I think I know exactly what so many people think about the Jews today, which is, oh, they're fine. Get over it. They're fine. Come on. You know, you're fine. And 
I think that just shuts down a whole conversation. And, you know, I've had plenty of people in this context after this incident say to me, oh, yeah, but, you know, like, yes, ending that basically and saying, yes, but, you know, come on, surely it's not that bad. As an improviser, I would argue that that was a yes, but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, Anderson, but what else, you know? Um, yeah, and I think people do try to kind of shut it down in that way. What, like... 2017 group of men walked the streets of america with tiki torches shouting jews will not replace us that's within the last five years and exactly and i think you know we forget as well that certainly in america anti-semitism is a by a clear mile the biggest source of hate crime and also you know all jewish schools in this country i didn't go to one myself but all jewish schools in this country have airport security and that's how we're so normalized and they're behind big brick walls and you know, for a start, people say we don't integrate. Well, wonder why. History's shown that that hasn't always been that nice to us. But, you know, we are geared up for this kind of thing. And we do have this obscene level of security. And I think incidents like this, and sadly ones that are much more severe, show why it's necessary. Also, I just want to add, you know, what we were saying about people saying it's not going to happen again, but it didn't start with the Holocaust. I think it is happening again. At the moment, it's happening with refugees. We literally yeah. have Suella Braverman and previously pretty yep. Patel, using the exact types of rhetoric. Well, that even got Katie Hopkins fired when she was yep. writing for The Sun. It is happening, and Holocaust survivors are saying, by the yep. way, this is happening, and Swella Braverman is saying, oh, bless you, no, I don't care, I'm not going to back down from it. But also, yeah, okay, maybe it's aimed towards more like refugees from Muslim countries, but we all know the poem, and then they came for us. We all know yep. that Jewish people, gay people black people are not going to be far behind. (laughs) Exactly. And I think we have Holocaust Memorial Day every year. And I think that feels so to me, you know, as somebody whose family, a lot of their family were persecuted in the Holocaust. I think it feels so empty and so virtue signaling if we're not going to learn anything from it. And we have such a responsibility to get this right. And you're right, we're just absolutely not at the moment. Can I just go on a quick tangent? You mentioned Haiti Cop. Katie Hopkins. I think that's a better name for her, actually. Katie mm. Hopkins. Right. I don't want to give her any extra press. And I know that our three listeners probably won't go and see her show. But do you know she's got a stand-up show commissioned? How oh, dare she? How dare she? God. I'm also not worried that she's going to take any of my audience off me because I don't think we have the same demographic. If people want to pay for it, like, let her crash and burn. Do you know what I mean? At that point, like, she's nothing. I would rather that that nobody platformed her like theatres didn't book her, but at least it's not like students' unions where (laughs) she's just getting paid to have a free platform. At least it's like, you have to buy a ticket. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, oh my God, she's one of my favorite memes was Katie Hopkins when she was still on Twitter, although she's back now, isn't she? She'd posted a photo of herself and saying, this is what it feels like to be a white conservative today. And she'd put her yellow target on her forehead and somebody had replied being like, this is the perfect analogy because it's not a real target and you put it there yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to be that the only time we talk about anti-Semitism in this country is when we like to bash Corbynists over their head with it, which not going to say there isn't anti-Semitism in the left because there definitely mm. is, but I mm. think it's cynical for people who don't even know what they're looking for, but would know if people were shouting at name, for example, or subtler things, what would be microaggressions to spot? And then how would you, as someone who is Jewish, appreciate being supported? So I think in terms of what to look for, 
I think anything that implies a certain degree of power, control, money, etc., related to identity, it is totally fine to say, oh, I don't know, maybe somebody like, well, it's going to be quite a data reference, someone like Philip Green, who used to head up that whole empire, it is fine to critique his capitalism, his business practices, his... Yes, yeah, yeah, his, I'm fairly sure, sexual assault case, etc., etc. It's fine to critique all of that, but the second you relate that to his Jewishness, that is the moment whereby you imply that they're linked. I also think, to go to your point about Corbynism, I think this is a peak example of what people perceive to be anti-Semitism, and the debate on that's still out, but on a panel debate he was talking about Jeffrey Epstein, and he excessively pronounced Epstein in a really Jewish way, which highlighted his Jewishness, which again, I think centres that in that conversation. So I think it is bringing out the Jewishness of people that we don't like as a society for very valid reasons. I also think I don't hugely want to get into the Israel-Palestine situation, but I think you have to look at it when you take out the word Israel and put the word Jew there instead and see how it reads. You know, if you say Israel is a purge on society and it's etc, etc, if you put the word Jews in there, you see how that reads. And I think that is, again, bordering around semitism for that way. What I as a Jew would like to see done about it is I think there's a fantastic organisation called the Community Security Trust. They're the organisation who deal with anti-Semitism and they you don't have to be Jewish to report it, but I think they are brilliant at responding to it. And they also compile figures. And I think, you know, lots of people say, oh, yeah, but nothing's going to be done about it. If nothing else, be another statistic which goes to the Home Office to say this is what society at large is thinking it backs up what we already know so i would definitely suggest reporting it and also where it's safe to do so particularly if it's a microaggression to just say you know do you know where that word comes from for example and i think most people using the word year have no idea of its past so i think if it's a friend of yours using it just say look do you know where that comes from and they probably won't and if they use it again then that's calculated anti-semitism but ignorance is the first port of call to address i think south park is to blame Okay, that's Mm. a sweeping statement. There was a whole Jew joke about calling one of Mm. them a Jew. There was no context behind it. There was no explanation as to why that was funny or bad, but it was Mm. just an ongoing thing. And so I remember friends who were Jewish and as you would when you're younger, you know, we're all a lot more educated now, but they would sort of participate in the joke that they were Mm. the Jew. And it became this thing where, oh, it's, it doesn't mean anything. It's really funny. Like Mm. it's how we get closer. Yeah. Same with gay. Mm. Yeah. Same with gay. Mm. I used to even be like, yeah, I don't find it wrong to call someone gay because yeah. we know that they're not talking about their sexuality. And now I'm like, mm. oh, you sweet, sweet little idiot, 15-year-old mm. Holly. Absolutely. And I think you're very right. I think and I think that's a tale as old as time, isn't it? In a way, particularly when you're naive and young, you want to diffuse that immediately and say, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. And actually, when you look back with hindsight, you think it wasn't fine. It wasn't at all. And I distinctly remember one of the first times I really ever experienced anti-Semitism was when I was much, much younger at primary school, I think. And somebody said to me, who I didn't know, you know, you're a Jew. And, and I remember thinking, well, how on earth do you know that? And then I realised, oh, you mean it as an insult? Like, it wasn't a statement of fact. And that's when I first realised that it could be used in a derogatory way. And you're right, I think a lot of shows like to think they're breaking down barriers and being edgy using words like this. But actually, there's nothing new in that. They're just kind of rehashing the same old stereotypes we've seen for decades before. I hate to break it to, you know, a lot of edgelord comedians and writers, but in reality, they're doing nothing, nothing new, let alone anything radical. I'm just going to remind everybody, well, maybe people don't know, but the original modern edgelords were the Ku Klux Klan. 
they started as a group of bored people after the war, young lads, young white mm. guys who had nothing better to do because America had just imploded. <laughs> so they called themselves wizards, rode around on horseback, pretending to be ghosts and being idiots. And that is where the Ku Klux Klan started. And there's been various iterations, but the Ku Klux Klan were the original modern edgelords. I mean, there's always been. Even now you go, well, hold on a second, 4chan, 8chan, these people got guns, yeah. published manifestos, and it's all gaming, yeah. Yeah, and I also think it's a huge case of, as we said earlier, it was kind of Katie Hopkins, you know, who are you protesting against? You know what I mean? I think a lot of these people don't recognise the wealth of social power they have. And actually, you know, if we're talking about people being silenced at the moment, you know, particularly in comedy, there's a comedian who's being sentenced to two years in prison in Iran for telling anti-establishment jokes. That's being silenced. That's not somebody saying, oh, you can't say anything anymore. There's a huge difference there between being silenced and your perception of being silenced. That's modern political discourse. I mean, bad here, but in America, I mean, proper congressional hearings with Twitter about silencing conservatives... Biden asked, could some tweets be deleted? It turned out that Trump had a whole folder of things that he wanted deleted and his was just because Chrissy Teigen called him a pussy and Biden (laughs) tried to get... True story. And it's now on the congressional record because one of them had to read it out in Congress. What, Chrissy Teigen called him a pussy? A weak pussy-ass bitch or something is now, like, written into the historic record. And then it was like, oh, why did the Biden camp ask? Well, because somebody was posting unconsensual dick pics of Hunter. Oh, and that's cancel culture. Mm. So, Meanwhile, uh, Ron DeSantis literally banned books. Blame the opposition for doing what you're doing. The other element of this that we haven't touched on, and I'm just really curious about it, is how would you feel now, having had that experience? Have you been to another match with your season ticket? I have, yeah. Two since then. And I haven't heard any of the same chants, but I know they go on. And these things do rumble on. And it really will take a top-down solution to solve it, I think. As someone who kind of grew up a massive Arsenal fan when I was a kid, like it was my dream, I think of Arsenal fans as being a lot more, not chill, I don't mean that people don't get overexcited, but you go to Fulham on a Chelsea day, there's an edge in the air, right? Like it can feel weird. You go to even Tottenham, there can be an edge. You go to, I mean, I used to live really near the West Ham place and all the local toilets were like any racist homophobic anti-semitic abuse will not be tolerated they felt like they had to put that on the walls i don't see arsenal as being that arsenal is the home of the gay gunners it is the the bastion of acceptance of lgbt and a lot more families i think and was that a real shock to you to have received that kind of abuse or was it something that actually you've always felt was there I mean, yeah, it was a shock, you know, and I mean, I'm part of the Gay Gunners and it's also in the heart of liberal Islington. So you kind of don't necessarily expect it there as much. But I think it is just testament that you can always find these things sometimes where you least expect it. And I'm a stand up comedian who travels all over the UK doing comedy and and in which every time I'll, I'll out myself as Jewish and, you know, sometimes small regional towns in Suffolk who I think are going to hate me for it actually don't and sometimes in you know liberal Islington fellow Arsenal fans people really have hated me for it so it just showed me that you can't make any assumptions it's such a big societal problem there's no pockets that it's exclusive to it's Um, a very sort of multifaceted place like it's gotten gentrified Mm -hmm. recently and over the last maybe 10 years 
but it's still got so many different pockets of different communities. That's what I miss. I've just moved out of London to like a town near Brighton. It's not the most white place in the world, but I do miss the diversity of London. Mm. The fact that you can meet someone from anywhere in a pub in London is really quite special. I feel like I've gone over to the dark side slightly, but you know, it's a trade-off. Got more trees down here. Katie, why do you love football? I don't want this podcast to be about how awful football fans are because, I mean, I'm not a football supporter myself. I do watch the big matches, which I know a lot of football fans have a problem with because I'm, like, getting involved when it matters. Why do you love football? What keeps you going back? I've always loved it since I was very young. My family always have. I think it can be brilliant at tearing walls down. And this incident aside, whenever I do go to games, there is such a diverse group of people watching together, watching something we all like together and people who would never meet normally. You'd never have a conversation with normally. And it's a great thing to be part of, to watch it live is incredible. And this is certainly not why I love it, but it is a huge benefit of, it's such an easy conversation starter. There are very few people that can't hold some degree of conversation about it, even if it's why they don't like it. So it's a huge unifier of society and one that I think is really, yeah, it's a, you know, say you're in a, we're both comedians, you know, when you're in a car show with somebody for three or four hours, you might have nothing else in common with them, but you've got that. And that's a great thing to be able to talk about. I also think I play sometimes every now and again as well. And it's a really good way to keep yourself healthy, keep yourself focused on something. It's nice to always have something in the diary to know that every week you're going to go and be a part with, you know, 80,000 other fans watching something. So that's why I love it. And that's why I think I'll never be put off it. I also do go to a lot of women's games, which are significantly cheaper and significantly... Um, and more fun. Yeah, yeah, they are much better at it. People take their kids to it. I think people are a lot less scared of it. It's a much nicer atmosphere and a lot more accessible, I think, in a lot of ways. I haven't been to a live men's thing in like 15 years. But I've been to a couple of live women's ones. I think one of the reasons is because when you're the underdog, and I don't mean the underdog in terms of Arsenal, because Arsenal women's have always been the upper class of football. But like when you are the minority class, I suppose, the the underclass of something, you almost like inherently become more accepting. So women's football had to really fight for its place over literally half a century. I think that automatically makes it a more inclusive place for gay people, non-white people. I mean, I don't know about if it's more inclusive for Jewish people, but for me, it feels very inclusive. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's a huge shift happening with all women's sports. My boyfriend's obsessed with cricket. And so the 100, which is a cricket match that doesn't last for eight days so it'll be like a specific amount of time you can go like they're trying to remarket it as like a family thing they've made the women's team just as like significantly important as the men's team as well and it's like creating a new sort of energy around and there's a lot of things around people being annoyed that they're changing cricket a little bit but I think that's really special because team sports it stops us from having to go and like People need something to fight for sometimes. The community of football is a good thing. I'm not sure the tribalism of football is a good thing. My partner's Scottish and obviously you have the Celtic Rangers, which is literally like if you wear the wrong shirt down the wrong street, you're a 
Mm. you're not making it home kind of thing and they do the the, the pink walk is it and not the pink walk that's the walk that I would like to do the orange walk which is Protestants Mm. walking and literally celebrating murdering Catholics and and it's all connected it's kind of like what goes on in like Ireland and stuff but I agree football is one of the few sports that I genuinely feel for men in particular is the social climate Mm. the amount of working class kids who become multi-millionaires wouldn't have managed that through cricket maybe tennis but football's Mm. the one I disagree with you probably not on a financial level actually but there is a point to be made about cricket because cricket it was originally sort of a way for the upper classes and the working classes to come together on an equal level it wasn't initially an upper class sport I think but as a cricketer from Mm. any walk of like north south working class upper class and everybody is equal in that sense as well i don't know if it devalues your point at all but i think it's very important to say well i went fine (laughs) i went to i went to primary school with graham hicks kid and it wasn't a free primary school yeah yeah but that's the point is that cricket is of interest to upper class and working class and middle class and everybody and i'm pretty sure there's quite a balance in terms of the teams Okay, Katie, we've got three questions that we ask everybody at the end of every podcast. They are very important questions. The fate of your career probably lies on you answering them properly and in the most honest way possible. What's your favourite Disney movie? Can I give probably the worst answer? I actually wasn't allowed to watch Disney as a child. I have a huge amount of catching up to do. Am I right in thinking The Lion King's Disney? Yeah. Yeah, done that. Done that. I've seen that very recently and thought it was brilliant. I did love the second one. That was a bit National Geographic for me. But yes, I would firmly answer that question. Yeah. What does that say about Katie's psyche then? Because we always use it as a... She's only seen one Disney movie. You can't use that on her. (laughs) Young prince born into privilege. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you are, a young prince born into privilege. People have always said that. Yeah. Yeah. But you're basically Hamlet. Again, people have always said these things. A bit catty. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All of those things. Really you. Mm. come back on the podcast in you know a year's time when you watch all the disney movies and we can make a proper psychological analysis of your character second question do you consider yourself an activist and if so do you ever turn it off oh good question i don't consider myself an activist purely because i hate how the word activist when you when you call yourself that or when you refer to yourself that you kind of seem to be held to this like impossibly high standard that nobody could ever reach but that said, I do think, you know, to quote a line from Peep Show, I do think I can be a sayer. And, you know, I do like to try and call things out whenever I hear them, even if in this instance that I spoke about it was second time round. I do try to do that for a lot of reasons, but I recognise a lot of the privilege I have as somebody with a relatively posh accent. And I understand how sometimes it's so much easier for me to speak up than it is for somebody else. So I would like to think that, but there are certainly times where because I think I always regret not acting more than acting. I wouldn't like to refer to myself as one, but to have all the good bits from it, basically, which is such a cop-out answer. Well, that's interesting to me that you're like, um, people hold you to a ridiculously high standard. But the interesting thing about that is that is all about whataboutism, right? And even yeah. people who I think I agree with on nearly everything to do with politics and I think they're good people and they really care and they devote time and effort to make things better and do things right, they often are like when it suits them, we'll bring up the argument of like, yeah, but nobody's perfect. So why are we judging this? And I'm like, hold on a second. Like you're actually using that to quieten the conversation or they will say, well, this activist is also a bit of a dick. So we shouldn't pay attention to them. And 
that to me is just not being an activist. That's the baggage of being an activist, right? Oh God, I'm meme girl today. There's another meme that's somebody who's being like, maybe we should try and make the world better. And then there's somebody next to them being like, and yet you participate in this problematic mm. society. Ha ha ha. Aren't <laughs> I clever? But there's an, also an interesting point that Africa Brooke makes, which is there are so many causes in the world. And I'm trying to think about this a bit more and, and not be so hard on myself. There are so many causes in the world that if someone's coming at you saying, you don't care about this cause as much as me, it is kind of okay mm. to be like, but there are so many that I'm trying to care yeah. about and understand. But the fact that I haven't given 100% of my energy to your cause hurting mm. you does not mm. mean that I'm not giving my activist energy to causes <laughs> that are important. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not a super person. And also like... That's really great that we all have different causes and we can support each other. But if we all only just cared about one thing, then people would get left behind, right? Well, I like everything Extinction Rebellion want to do, but I just don't agree with the way they do it. It's like, shut up. That's the point, though. Nobody's going up to Greta Thunberg and telling her that she needs to give more energy to, mm. I don't know, the war in Syria. Like, no mm. one's going up to her and saying that she's not being a big enough supporter of feminism. I'm sure she cares, but her energy is going towards that one thing and it's doing good. So everybody try and be nicer to each other. Mm. Mm. I agree. And on that note, the final thing is we like to end the podcast on a little bit of sunshine because all we do is talk about how shit the world is. So something that made me smile, comedians called Jamie D'Souza and Mark Little saying we we love pranks and we love to prank each other. Very, very juvenile. But Jamie's from a village called Shepparton in Surrey. And there's a local Facebook page for that, which is just absolute treasure troves of comedy. Somebody wrote a call out on this page saying, having a dinner party, has anybody got any spare chairs I could borrow? And I commented saying, Jamie D'Souza has very kindly offered his very own face. And that brought me more joy, I think, than so many other things. Um, <laughs> and everything's been removed from the group. So that is, you know, <laughs> what I'm going to rely on. But do you know what? Sometimes in life, you've got to get the short-term gratification. You've got to strike while the iron's hot. And we do things like that on the daily. So it was only a matter of time. <laughs> keep on laughing keep on finding comedy and humor my a little bit of sunshine is football related we are the women's champions of europe as of last year i cried it was at wembley you hear when we got knocked out of the world cup last year a guy talked to me and he said we won the euros right and i was like brilliant people are really excited and your classic male football fans are getting really excited about it and I think that's going to make male football more inclusive because right. there are so many gays in women's football. Katie where can we find you on the internet? Do you have anything coming up that you want to tell us about? Yes so you can find me on Instagram at Katie Price Comedy but yeah on Instagram's where I post everything. Amazing. I've got a mini tour coming up doing I'm also doing Brighton Fringe 24th to 26th of May Museum of Comedy on the 3rd of August and then I'm going to be up in Edinburgh so come along. There's a, a bunch of other dates coming in there as well. Can confirm my mum said Kate's show was brilliant. Oh, Holly's mum came. It was such a surprise. I didn't come but my no. mum came. Well I'd already That's seen it. What a time to be alive.